hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to Critical uh, Q&A. Let me just make sure all is well here. Yep, here we go. Okay. Hey, everybody. Hi. Uh, welcome to our Sunday live stream edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you put in the comments, uh, comments box here today. <clears throat> Excuse me. I did not bring my Kool-Aid to drink today, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm flying dry this morning. But um, anyway, uh, happy to be here with all of you. And uh, yeah, we have folks coming on board here now. Um, since this is, uh, I thought we might start the show off with a bang. Um, I wanted to kind of repeat a couple announcements that I made on Friday, just because I know my critical Q&A shows have a bit of a different audience, the weekend audience as well, uh, the European audience, of course. Uh, if anybody from the other side of the pond is here today, welcome. Um, always love doing these things. And um, yes, and we will. Hey, Switzerland. Hey, Denmark. Awesome. Yes. So I thought I might repeat a few things that I said on Friday night that are sort of newsworthy for my channel. I thought you guys might be interested in knowing about some upcoming things. Um, both uh, far and near. Uh, so, first off, um, I and this is this is really sort of proof of life, kind of. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and switch over to the comments so we get the comments on the screen here. Um, hey, big blue area, Vancouver Island, awesome. Um, so this, I just wanted to share a couple of things with you guys real fast, and then we'll get into your questions. I wanted to give everybody a uh, chance to, you know, show up and, and get the live stream going. And uh, so this, y'all might see here, this is, this is 85 pages of scene-by-scene -scene breakdown of the tone scale video. It's now a finalized script. It's uh, broken down for shooting. I have uh, location shooting to do all around Denver. I've got about 10 different, uh, 10 or 12 different locations named here. Uh, my studio being one of those locations, but this is not a talking head video. This is going to be a little um, more, more put together, more like a little mini documentary. Um, and I've got, um, I've already started recording the voiceovers for the scenes where there's going to be graphics or animations. And that has now begun. Production on this is now started for real. And, um, and this is going to carry on uh, week by week until it is done. I anticipate it's not going to take long. And I'm going to have this emotional tone scale video finally completed for you guys. Um, the little yellow tab is where I'm at in terms of the voiceovers. <laughs> so I've, I've got that much done and I still have this much more to do on... Uh, on a lot of stuff on this, but I'm really excited about it. I am very happy with it. And if you want to hear uh, the first page, the narration from the very beginning of the thing, I read that on the Friday show, and I would encourage you to check out our show on Friday because I thought it was pretty good. We broke down a little bit about why cults like Scientology, uh, specifically in the Masterson case, but also more broadly, why do these groups cover up crimes? How is it possible that people can get into a frame of mind where criminal activity, actual assault, uh, etc., can be justified or can be or it can be rationalized away that you need to not let this get out into the public? Uh, you know, how does that happen? Why does that happen? Well, we covered that Friday and talked a lot about uh, details on the on the masters and stuff. And um, 
also, wow, Central Arkansas, wow. Um, I also wanted to um, let you know about something else happening. This week, I've got to, I still have to figure out how I'm going to go about this. But this book right here is the Objectives Handbook. And this tome, this, uh, you know, two-inch big uh, book is a breakdown of, oh, oh, thank you, Andreas. Thank you very much for that super chat. This book um, is a process-by-process breakdown. There are over 800 processes in here, I believe. There's certainly 800 pages. Uh, I actually didn't count how many objective processes there are but there's a lot this is all of them like like they scoured all of the bulletins and all of the lectures and this is what they came up with and this book describes um a particular kind now that i've done the show let me do the tell um there's a particular kind of auditing that gets done in scientology basically there's Basically, there's two different kinds of auditing that get done in Scientology. There's objective and subjective, okay? So there's objective having to do with things, stuff, matter, energy, space, and time, the the real world around you. And there is subjective auditing, which is uh, thoughts, you know, feelings, um, uh, memories, sending you back down the time track, down memory lane to remember things and recall them and go through the trauma of them again and all of that. Dianetics would be an example of subjective auditing. There's a lot of uh, subjective auditing processes in Scientology. Um, you know, recall a time that was really real to you. Recall a time you were in really good communication with somebody. This would be recall processes. Those would be subjective. You're doing them in your mind. Objective processes are where you're doing things in the real world. You're touching things. You're moving things. You are picking things up and observing them and noting characteristics about them. You are doing that with your own body. You're doing that with other things. Those are objective, and there's tons and tons of objective processes. They are almost all repetitive in nature, um, meaning you're doing them over the same command over and over and over and over again. And, um, and that book lays out all of the different objective processes. And so I've talked about and described this kind of auditing before. I've gone into some detail about it, but never the detail I can go into now that I have that book because uh, that is that uh, is it's a lot of stuff in there. So I'm trying to figure out how to do a live stream maybe this week to sort of walk through this material and not give you every process. There's no way I'm going to sit here and, and demonstrate or give you the commands for every single one. But there are they've broken it down for me into types of objective processes. And, um, and then there's like, you know, there's a... Um, here, I'll give you an example here since we're on this for a minute. Um, okay, so there are, um, there's unconscious person objectives where you could actually run a process on somebody who's passed out or in a coma or in a hospital bed. There are orientation to present time. 
And there's a bunch of processes uh, dealing with getting you oriented in the, in the moment, in the here and now. There are um, confront processes where you're going to deal with confronting objects. And there's a bunch of processes connected with that. There are exteriorization processes in here. Okay, um, let's take a look and see, just as an example. See if I can dig this one up real fast. Exteriorization. Okay, here is an example of a process that is supposed to result in you Going exterior, going out of your body, leaving your body and being able to see or perceive the universe or the world around you outside of your body. Here is, um, here's an example of one. Let me give you a, a, it's kind of a silly one. Take hold of the head. The head. Take hold of the head. Good. Keep the head from going away. Did you keep it from going away? Thank you. Take hold of the knees, your knees. Good. Keep the knees from going away. Did you keep them from going away? Thank you. Repeat the commands one after the other over and over to end phenomena. And what's the end phenomena? Pre-clear exterior. So you're going to keep running this until the dude goes, okay, I'm out of my head, I swear. <laughs> Keep the head, keep, get hold of the head, keep it from going away. That's one example of an exteriorization process, a way to get you, you know, disassociated so thoroughly that you actually think that you are something separate and unique and different from your body, which is not a healthy mental state to be in, by the way. That's not a good place to be. Uh, okay, so... Um, Oh, the folk, if the focus is going in and out, I apologize for that. It looks like it's in right now. So I'm sorry, Veronica, if that was a problem. Um, okay, so this all now being introed, let's go ahead and get into some questions. If you all have some, let me time to start throwing them into the comments. Let me go back up here. And I'm going to try to do a better job of keeping track line by line so I don't skip any questions. I know that has been a problem in earlier Q&As. Just the nature of the bopping back and forth in the comment box here when I bring your questions up, it, it, it moves it around. So I've, I'm trying to set that up so, it don't, so I don't miss your questions uh, this time. Um. <laughs> Thank you, Love Food Kitchen. Um. Oh, that's an interesting question, Vernon. Okay, so let's go ahead and and go back up here. See if I can find Vernon's question. Here we go. If Scientology loses tax exemption, can the government force Scientology to pay back people like Leah who have donated millions to them? Um, no. I don't think that the government has the ability to do that short of if they were found to be criminally liable, this is my guess, okay, I'm a lay person, I'm a lawyer, um, but I believe uh, if the Church of Scientology were found to, under criminal prosecution, found to be um, liable, guilty for fraud, 
uh, you know, credit card fraud or some other kind of financial shenanigans, then you could look at a judgment where they might have to be paying people back. There, of course, could also be civil suits filed where where Scientology would have to pay fraudulent money back. Luis Garcia tried to pull that off, and, you know, of course, look what happened. Um, not that he shouldn't have and not that that effort shouldn't be continued, but it is an uphill battle because Scientology has all the legal chicanery and, you know, and shenanigans they can pull. So, no, if the, if the IRS came in and said, look, you guys are conning people or you guys, this is, this is inurement or you're violating public policy in some significant way and we're going to take your tax exemption away from you, it would just be kind of from that point forward, there's no tax exemption. It wouldn't be, the IRS doesn't have, I don't think the IRS has the ability to then tell them, okay, and now you got to pay all this money back. I don't, I don't, I don't see that uh, as an outcome of this, so... Um, so there you go. Okay, let's move on here. See, uh, yeah, okay. Um, let's go ahead and tackle this question. Xion asks, like group processing also, I believe you're asking there in relation to the objective and subjective processing I was just describing. And group processing is a separate kind of auditing. Actually, it's funny. You bring that up, and now I should clarify myself. I just told you guys a fib. There's objective, and there is subjective, and then there is group processing. Because group processing is kind of a mix. It's mostly objective-style auditing. Group processing is the kind of auditing that is done on a group of people, more than one person at a time, receiving auditing commands from a single group auditor. Uh, most auditing, almost all, besides group processing, auditing is a one-on-one -on -one activity. Um, the only exception would be uh, marriage counseling, where you have an auditor and you have a married couple uh, being audited. And that's, you know, technically classified as an assist, but whatever. We can get it, you know, these are just little minutia points. But, um, but group processing is mostly objective style auditing, but it's done on a whole group of people at once. This book, the Objective Processing book, is not about group processes. There's a separate book for that. And we went over that a little bit um, a couple months ago when I went over the Sunday services because that's where group processing happens. And that's not the only place it happens, but that's a great example of where they use group processing these days in Scientology is during their Sunday services. Okay, um, so... Let's bop back. Okay, yeah, this thing just automatically moves around on me, so I'm just going to do my best to, uh, to keep up with your questions. All right, so let's see what we got here. Pop that off. And... Yeah, this, um, this example, John Doe, John Travolta tried to process when Jet was in the ambulance, tell him to come back to his body. That is called a bring back to life assist. And assists are technically not auditing. Assists are actions that are done, commands that are given, or, or, or uh, a series of commands that are given in order to try to orient a thetan with the body or try to help the thetan adjust the body or fix the body or do something with the body to heal it or otherwise get it over some present 
or past traumatic episode. That would be an assist. It's, it's a little bit different from auditing in that you're not trying to deal with back charge, okay? You're not trying to deal with past trauma so much with an assist as you're trying to deal with a present time in this moment kind of problem or, or situation or pain, you know, that kind of thing. Somebody falls over and hurts themselves and they're sitting there in pain right now. Okay, let's do an assist and let's see if we can assist that pain, make it go away by doing this assist action, okay? Um, you know, I guess marriage counseling is considered an assist because you're assisting them with their present time overts that are making the marriage want to fall apart. And so the assist action in that case is to pull the overts, right? What did you do to Mary? What have you withheld from Mary? Okay, Mary, what have you done to John? What have you withheld from John? Back and forth, back and forth. And this is a marriage counseling kind of thing. It's not really supposed to be considered auditing. And again, I'm in deep minutiae right now differentiating these things. They don't look or sound a whole lot different from each other, but technically they are different things. Okay, so what you're describing with John Travolta there is called a bring back to life assist. And it's a right now in the moment, you don't go down to the morgue and do this with dead bodies or cadavers that have been there for, you know, hours or days or weeks. But in the right now moment, if somebody just died on you, you know, they did what, what Hubbard called uh, doing a bunk. That's the expression in Scientology is doing a bunk. They took off. They left. They're not there anymore. <clears throat> Hubbard said this kind of thing used to happen during auditing sessions. I think he was just telling tales. But he said that you could get somebody exterior and send them flitting off to, you know, go look at Mars or something, and they never come back. And the auditor's sitting there, and the guy's body is just slumped over, you know, maybe still breathing a little bit, but he ain't coming back. And Hubbard was like, you know, we used to make jokes about this, about how the auditors would sit there and go, but think of your family, you know, but think of your kid, but but think of your poor auditor, you know, and then the guy would, would come back to life, right? So the come back to the body thing is this effort to get the Thetan who's taken off to come back and, you know, and, and reanimate the body and, and live in it again. So that's, that's what that would be. And that would be, again, classified as an assist. Okay. Uh, love all the Scientology minutia stuff. Um, okay. Anthony asks, if Shelly died, would we know right away? Uh, no guarantee of that at all. Right? It all depends on what's gonna what kind of leakage would happen. If any, she I mean, you know, I don't mean to be cavalier about this, but she might not be alive right now. How would we know? We wouldn't. We would have no way of knowing any more than we know anything about the condition of Heber Gench or Guillaume Sev or uh, any or Ray Midoff or any of these old names that you guys probably don't even recognize anymore because they're OG old school. Scientology executives who used to run Scientology. These are the, the names I just named were powerful people in Scientology through the 1970s and 80s and uh, it's in, somewhat into the 90s. Uh, these were the leaders of Scientology and now their names are literally just history. Um, are they even still alive? How would we know? You know, uh, th this is the this is that 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 another 
example or another way we see that this is a world within a world. Scientology and the Sea Org and, and the, the, the culture of it is a walled-off fortress of knowledge. We don't, we don't get the information coming in and out unless somebody escapes and tells us what's going on in there. Uh, so, And we certainly can't trust what Scientology has to tell us about what's going on in there. Everything they say has to be taken with a grain of salt. All right. Um, Veronica asks, do you think we as non-Scientology people can do a class action lawsuit for misappropriated tax dollars spent, for example, empty buildings? Um, I don't see it. I mean, I don't really see that something like that happening. No, um, I don't know even how you would go about that. I mean, you can sue for anything. Okay. So I shouldn't say it can't be done because of course it could be done. A, A number of people could get together and go, Hey, the church of Scientology is abusing their tax exempt status. And we want to sue them on that basis. Yes, you could absolutely do that. Um, would such a suit fly? Would it make it, you know, through discovery? Would it make it through the, the pretrial motions? Anybody's guess, you know, uh, could it be done? Yes, it absolutely could be done. Should it be done? Maybe, um, you know, I'd rather see Scientology taken to task for the actual abusive behavior it engages in. And that's not to say that, that misappropriating tax money or using tax exempt funds is is okay or is right but i don't really see the chances very high that that's the kind of thing that they're going to be taken to task for in the legal arena i think there are much better cases to be made and i think there's even a criminal approach that could be made to scientology using rico using the uh the same statutes that were used to take down the mafia organizations is the kind of of legal uh would be the correct legal framework to take on Scientology. Is that going to happen? You know, is the FBI going to get off their ass? Are they going to eventually do something about this? You know, who knows? So, uh, Veronica, could this be done? Sure. Um, but it would be a really tough sell. It would be a tough organ, tough thing to organize in the first place. Um, you know, class actions of, of all kinds of uh, pits and valleys that, that are connected with them. So, you know, sure, it, it could be done, though. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's get some group processing. Um, okay, and there we go again, skipping all ahead. This is what I mean. It, it, it jumps forward on me, and so I missed some questions, but I'm trying to scroll back up to the top and pick up where I left off. Um, so let's carry on here. Um. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, here's a good question. Uh, Yonge Matador asks, what do Sea Org public feel about the whales? Resentful at the preferential treatment given to them or proud of their involvement with the church? I think it would depend on the day of the week and the, and the particular whale involved. 
But generally speaking, Scientologists look at the whales as the big, big money donors as heroic, as people who are really stepping up and doing more than they can. And so, you know, who are they to criticize them or tell them that they're wrong or bad or something? Um, you know, resentful over the money they have and the liquid funds they have to throw at Scientology? Sure, there's jealousy, absolutely. Classism exists in Scientology just like it does anywhere else. Uh, so you can get that. But for the most part, we thought of the whales as the biggest supporters, as the people who are really keeping things going and really allowing Scientology, you know, to be able to make the forward progress through society that it needs to, you know, through the commercials, the dissemination programs, the, the front groups, the, the, you know, the, the way to happiness or the criminon or narconon or whatever. Those were, we looked at those people as the people who were actually funding those activities. We figured, okay, let me say this, because this might be interesting for people, is we, you know, we had no idea. I certainly, I'll speak for myself, uh, but I believe I can say we, but I will say me here. I, I believe culturally within Scientology, this holds true, that we didn't know how much money was actually there. We didn't know how much money the church was actually making. And, you know, if we were told it would have been, oh, there's $3 billion in reserves, it would have been, oh, well, good, because we need that money in reserves because, you know, a rainy day and the war chest and, you know, they're always attacking us and we need those funds for, for support and stability through the years. So that's a good thing, right? But we didn't even know that much. We didn't know how much was in reserves. They would never tell us. And so I was always under the impression as a Sea Org member that we were always kind of on the brink, that we never had enough, and that the money that would, that, would, that would go up to reserves or whatever was being actively spent on these programs and campaigns. And this is why I've said for ever since I got out of Scientology how important those events are. They're not just rah-rahs or ways to keep the um, public connected, but they're a way to keep them believing that the money that Scientology makes is being spent on Scientology and nothing but Scientology, and look at all the good we're doing with it, when in fact, we now know, I now know, they're doing the bare minimum. Those are That's all window dressing and smoke and mirrors to fool those people to giving more and more money so they can just sock it away. So that's... You know, so that's what I can, uh, so I can say about that. Um, Anthony, did you spend much time at Flag? No, I did not. Personally, I spent only a little bit of time at Flag. Uh, in 1996, I got flown out to Flag as a manager, as the West U.S. manager over all the tech divisions. All of my, all of the people who were doing that from all over the world were flown to flag along with a um, bunch of other management staff. And we were briefed by David, by David Miscavige for three days on the golden age of tech. Uh, this was the 1996, the original release that changed Scientology training, uh, you know, and, and put David Miscavige over all that stuff. So, um, so that was the only time that I went out to flag when I was in Scientology, when I was a Sea Org member. I've been out to the Clearwater area twice uh, since leaving Scientology. 
sure. X Cyan asks, did you do surveys or questionnaires in public places with the intent to engage people into a conversation about Dynetics or Scientology? Did I have a clipboard? Yeah, lots of times. Absolutely. I did those. I did that as a drill or a practice uh, activity on, on courses that I did. We would call it tone scale spotting. You have to go out and, uh, and see where people are at emotionally and sort of register and note where they're at on the tone scale and try to manipulate them a little bit. That's an exercise that occurs. Um, uh, but I also did do surveys and questionnaires in public places a couple times. Um, we you know would get a few hostile remarks, but this was but this kind of work was honestly work I did pre anonymous pre internet, so I didn't run into as much Scientology bashing doing that as you would now. Uh, you know, it wasn't quite as bad back then. Uh, Chris, do you know if Jet's death shook Travolta's faith? I have no idea, but considering the fact that Jet has died. And Kelly has died, and, and John Travolta remains a diehard Scientologist, at least publicly claiming to be such. It uh, doesn't look like it shook his faith. I mean, I'd, I would be hopeful that it would have. It would have been nice if it would have uh, stirred him in some way or woken him up. But um, doesn't look like that is what happened. Um Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, Relaxed Llama asks or Relaxed Llama Drama asks, do you think the civil and criminal cases against Masterson if found guilty could chip away at the legal armor Scientology has around them and help making them more vulnerable in other civil cases? Absolutely I do. Yes, no question about it. A guilty verdict on Masterson would be awesome in terms of the criminal case for uh, legacy purposes, for the, for the fact of bringing more cases against them or showing that they actually are criminal and criminally involved in nasty stuff. If he's found innocent, they get a pass. And all this stuff that's come up in the trial is like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, um, but if they, he's found guilty, then the Church of Scientology, by implication, is also guilty of covering up crimes. And that would be a huge and well-deserved black mark against them. That would then feed into the civil case, which is against Scientology directly for stalking and harassment of those victims. And if those victims are, are verified by a criminal trial to be victims and that they were sexually assaulted by Masterson, then Scientology's liability you know, is cranked up quite a bit in that civil case and that definitely would open the door to more civil cases being brought against them, which is why you see Scientology pulling out all the stops to do everything it can to try to derail this Masterson trial. Um, within, but, I, but I'm going to temper that with, you know, within reason. They, they are pulling out all the stops, but there is only so much they're going to get away with, too, in this day and age. So... You know, so we've got a lot of, uh, of stuff in the air right now on this trial. And this is why one of, the, one of the main reasons we are, you know, fingers crossed that this jury fucking gets it. You know, we really need these people to get it. And I really, you know, this prosecution's case that was made in this trial on Masterson was a good one. All the facts were there for the jury to see. Are they going to see them, though? Ugh. That's the $10 million question, and, um, and we're all on pins and needles right now waiting for, for that verdict.
Um, but yeah, that verdict is definitely going to have impact one way or the other uh, on future cases. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Vernon asks, um, let me go back up here. Okay, how ingrained is the Scientology belief that children are adults in little bodies? Is it that children are spoken and treated as adults? Okay, no, not necessarily all the time. But when it comes to, um, they're, children are not spoken to as adults all the time, okay? They're talked to like children because they are children and they act like children. And so, however... However, when it comes to where this mostly comes out, at least in my experience with kids as a Scientologist and Sea Org member, is in discipline. If kids are misbehaving, if they're, mis, if they're acting up, if they are you know, dramatizing being a kid, uh, would be some, a, a phrase you might hear in Scientology, um, then they get the sharp end of the tongue, right? Then it's like, hey... Knock it off. You're dramatizing. You know, hey, you're bigger than this. You're better than this. Stop being this way. Stop being banky. Stop throwing your bank around. You know, knock it off. You don't have to act this way. You're just being a kid right now. You know, kind of grow up. You've been through all this before. Like these are all phrases or examples of things that Scientology adults will and can and will tell Scientology kids in an effort to get to correct their behavior, get them to stop crying, get them to stop being a kid, you know. And, um, and of course, we all have our strategies for how to deal with kids, you know, when they are upset. And it's not always necessarily the best thing to just let them, you know, run loose and not be disciplined. But the way Scientologists go about it is, hey, knock it off act your age, you know, this kind of thing, even though they are acting their age, you know, but you know what I mean, uh, that kind of thing. That's where I see, tend to have seen it most often. And then culturally, that's it kind of in the moment. And then culturally, this manifests in allowing children to join the Sea Org, to work at the org, to do adult things, to be exposed to adult materials. This is not to say that eight-year-olds are going to be shown X-rated movies or that they, you know, or that, that, that Scientologists would do something like that, but they will allow their 12-year-old to go off and join the Sea Org. Seen it many times. Uh, how would that pass? How would that be possible? Why would a parent do that? Well, because they believe their child is making adult decisions and is capable of making adult decisions as a 12-year-old. When they come to their parents and say, well, I want to go join the Sea Org, right? Because they had some interesting conversation with a Sea Org recruiter who convinced them that joining the Sea Org would be the most important thing. And this here's this 12-year-old who has no conception of life and experience and what he's actually saying, going to his parents and saying, I want to join the Sea Org. And the kid and the parents go, oh, wow, aren't we, you know, blessed with this, you know, wonderfully OT aware child who wants to go take responsibility for clearing the planet let's let him go do that right that kind of thing is where you see this attitude manifested uh, and 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 to be fair there are more than a few Scientology parents who don't buy into this uh, to that degree and do not let their kids join the Sea Org or do not let their kids join staff or take on more than they're capable of because they live with the kid and they know he's a kid 
And they might think, okay, well, sure, there's a Satan in there that's lived forever, but right now he's still being a kid. And I'm not going to, you know, uh, skip the line, so to speak, and let him grow up too fast. So some Scientology parents can see that how, how ludicrous that thinking is, and other Scientology parents buy into it completely. It really is, it really does matter who you're talking about or who you're talking to. Just to be fair about that. Okay. Um, yeah, so Travolta is a genuinely good guy, John. Um, okay, Raymond Vanderstelt. Scientology claims to have free online courses. What do you know about these courses and can they be helpful? These are theory courses. They are, they are courses where you're going to be called upon to read a lot of Scientology material. Not so much, there's not a lot of doing or practical stuff, maybe a few things, but not as much as you would get in a Scientology supervised classroom situation. So really it's kind of like they're like extension courses kind of, like the kind of do-at-home kind of courses. Read a book, write some essays, you know, consider some things. Are they helpful? No. They're indoctrination. They're teaching you Scientology principles. And there's, I guarantee you guys, and I've been breaking this down for years, there's always a twist. Scientology never comes free, and it never comes openly, and it never just helps you out. It's always got a twist. There's always a hook. It's always trying to drag you down to the org and get you to pay money because let's never forget Scientology at its heart is a money-making scam. It is about the Benjamins. And so these online courses are just teasers, basically. They're efforts to give you a little bit and tease you to come into the church and get more. And it's all about that. And, uh, and I don't know what else to say. You know, are they helpful? I don't think so. I wouldn't ever recommend doing an online Scientology course. You're not going to get the transinduction and the, and the repetition and the auditing and all the, the awful stuff that comes when you go into a Scientology church. But it's, like I said, it's just teasers. It's, 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 it's the best possible presentation of the material in the best possible, easiest to digest way so that you will be convinced that, oh, this is good stuff. I should go find out more. And you don't want to go find out more because <laughs> that's when they're going to get you. Uh, okay. Oh, thank you, Veronica, for that super chat I'm seeing right now. Thank you very much for that. Um, all right. Let's move on here. Okay. Um, well, here's a question. How did your parents get involved in Scientology? My uncle, my father's brother, got involved in Scientology out in Las Vegas with, uh, through a communications course in the early 1970s, and he thought it was awesome. And he called my dad, and he was like, dude, I just did this class. you got to check it out. And my dad was like, oh, right? And my dad was having marriage troubles, and my dad was, had issues, and communication was certainly at the top of that. And so he was like, oh, well, this looks like interesting. And he went down and did it. And then he convinced my, now I think at this point, my mom and dad were separated, uh, divorced. And he convinced my mom, uh, they had joint custody of me. So they would see each other and share custody and all that. And so he convinced my mom to, uh, to go check it out. My mom was having her own emotional issues at that time. I was, was having some pretty serious ups and downs in her own life. 
um, you know, getting married, getting divorced, having a kid. I mean, there were all kinds of pressures. And she um, was like, okay, and she went down and checked it out, and she wasn't so into it at first. But then she kind of got into it, and they slowly, you know, got more and more involved and did. um, I believe they told me that they did some marriage counseling. I mentioned that earlier here in the show. And um, what that marriage counseling is, you know, what have you done? What have you withheld? And, uh, And they got back together, and they carrying on in Scientology, and they ended up, uh, we moved to Pasadena, California, which is where they started working at the mission of Scientology there in Pasadena, and the rest is history, and you can get the whole story uh, from my mom and me in our interview on that, which you can find on my channel here, so me, my mom, and Scientology, I think it's called, so you can check those interviews out if you are curious for even more details about all of that. All right, um... Vernon, how can it be legal to have children as auditors, especially when they deal with adult Scientologists? Well, what's illegal about it? I mean, there's nothing illegal about sitting a kid down and having and telling him, here's an e-meter, here's a set of commands or questions, there's a pre-clear, audit them, right? It's a religious ritual. As far as the law is concerned, it's a religious ritual. So what what's illegal about it? It's it, it just is what it is, you know. Uh, is it morally right? No, of course not. You know, it's it's horrible. But there's but legally speaking, um, you'd have to you'd have to clarify to me what laws are being broken because, yeah, you can have kids do that, and they do, and it's awful. And it's, uh, and it shouldn't, it, yeah. Ugh. Okay, moving right along. Um, okay, and I'm just taking these in sequence one by one as I go down the line here. Uh, David Miscavige probably realizes Scientology is on its last legs, no more new members, many lawsuits, etc. Do you think he has an endgame strategy? Probably not. You know, here's the funny thing about that we see over and over and over again with cult leaders. And this is quite interesting. Because um, you would think, if you're thinking, as you are, Raymond, you would think that they would think this through. But there's a thing about these personality types, these, these authoritarian, narcissistic, you know, predator types is they always think there's always a couple things about them that you that you don't you wouldn't think you could count on this but you kind of almost can one they always think they're the smartest person in the room two they always think they can't fail and three they always think if they are failing it's somebody else's fault and if they just line up enough people who's who can be blamed for things they can scapegoat their way out of any issue or trouble or problem. And they prove this to themselves over and over and over again by getting out of issues or problems or legal entanglements by doing exactly that. Some, you know, some loyal fanatic will throw themselves on their sword for the leader, thus proving to the leader that he is invincible and 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 invaluable to the cause and is central to the whole thing. And therefore can't be touched. 
And it will always be that way. In their mind, they think it will always be that way. And there is no one who is ever more shocked when the final walls break down and the doors busted down and the law enforcement's right on them. There's never anybody more shocked than the predators, the narcissistic uh, jerks, right? They never see it coming or they don't believe it can happen or they don't believe it will happen to them. And of course, that kind of thinking is not unique to narcissistic predators. We all can whistle past the graveyard. We all can think, you know, horrible things will happen to those guys, but they're not going to happen to me. I mean, you know, if we're honest, I think we can all admit that we, that we all think that way sometimes. These guys are no different. In fact, if anything, they're puffed up even more magnanimously in their own minds, right? They are the hero of their own story, and they very, very, very much believe that they always will be. So for that reason, there's probably no real endgame there. However, that all being said, I could be completely wrong about this, and David Miscavige might very well have a plan B, plan C, and a plan D in terms of escape routes or figuring out where to go that have, you know, some place that doesn't have an extradition treaty or something. He might have those kind of things in mind, but I don't think he does. My opinion, my own personal take is I doubt it. You know, I, I think he's, uh, I think he thinks he's set for life. And I think, I, I think Miscavige believes as long as he has blah, blah, blah in place and he has solved various elements of the dictator problem, he has the reporting system and he, has, he keeps his eye on the people around him and nobody has all the power, he has it and nobody else does and he, you know, sort of divide the power so nobody else can ever take it from him. You know, I think as long as he believes he has all these things in place, he's golden, you know, he's Teflon. And... Um, and that generally is kind of how these guys operate, uh, historically speaking. Um, did Scientology use COVID relief money to pay staff? Could they be prosecuted by the government? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, the answer to the question is I don't know. Um, do I suspect that they, you know, misused those funds or, or, or brought in COVID money and used it for, you know, purposes they shouldn't have? Sure. Of course. Right. If, if, if the government wants to throw free money at Scientology and Scientology can hoover it up, you bet they will. Uh, I'm surprised actually, to be honest with you, I'm actually very surprised that Scientology didn't take more advantage of those COVID funds of those relief funds. Uh, I, I was surprised when Tony reported on what we did know about it, that it, the figures were as low as they were. That's my take on it, is uh, I was really surprised they didn't, uh, they didn't try to do more. Uh, and yeah, I think that those funds should be investigated. And if there is malfeasance, I think they absolutely should be prosecuted, of course. But did they, could they, uh, you know, I don't know. It would be nice if uh, the government would get off its ass and start investigating Scientology in one way or another on this line. I'm told, you know, over the years that there are various efforts by the FBI to investigate here, investigate there. Nothing ever seems to come of it. We're, we're told there's been a grand jury that's been uh, looking into Scientology for years now. Okay, where is it? 
You know, it gets very frustrating after a while to be hearing about this and never really see anything come of it. So I'm hoping this is another reason, by the way, that the Masterson verdict could be important because if he is found guilty, that could be the catalyst for that grand jury to move or for other investigations to move forward. You know, it's like a lot rides on this stuff. And uh, anyway, whatever. I don't know. A little frustration here. You can, of course, see on my part. Um, I'm going to have to, okay, here's an interesting question. Nobody's ever asked me this before, Anthony. It's a good one. Was there ever something Hubbard said that you refused to believe even as a Scientologist? Damn, let me think about that one. Huh. Was there something I refuse to believe? Yeah, I'll tell you something that stuck with me. I'll tell you something that stuck with me that made no sense to me, and I could never really get my wits around it. It's a small thing, okay? It's not a huge thing, but it was a note. It was a footnote in a lecture that L. Ron Hubbard gave during the briefing course in the 60s. And in that lecture, he apparently, and I'd have to dig it up. I don't even know, you know, I'd have to go look for it. But, it, but he said that evolution, the entire evolutionary process, as described in history of man, the, all the evolutionary track, the genetic line, he said all of that was an implant. That it didn't really happen that way. And I might need to go look that up at some point to verify that I'm actually remembering this properly. But all these years, I, it has always been bookmarked in my head. All the way back to when I first learned about that as a Scientologist. And I said, what? Implant? Evolution is an implant? And I could not get my wits around that. Now, an implant is a forcefully installed memory or set of memories that use pain and drugs and hypnosis to install the memory in you as a thetan. Using electronic forces and explosions and a lot of pain, you install these memories. Uh, Xenu implanted everybody with religion and various other concepts during the whole Xenu narrative. But that's not the only place implants happen. L. Ron Hubbard says there's thousands of implants. You've been implanted over and over and over and over and over again as a Thetan in your existence over all these trillions of years that you've been around. And those implants have everything to do with why life on Earth here is so fucked up and why we as individuals are so fucked up, right? Is because we have received implants and we have been implanting other people too. We're guilty of both. And because we're guilty of both, we get all hung up on this stuff. And so the idea though that all of science and all this evolutionary knowledge and experience that we've gained here on Earth is all an implant and it's all bullshit. I was like, what? I can't, I mean, look at all the fossil record and all the evidence. What do you, what? Even as a Scientologist, I, I just could not get my wits around that idea. I sort of understood the idea and I thought, maybe, I guess, but I, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. And I, and that's, so 
I don't know. That's the first thing that comes to mind. You know, it was the only real uh, strong disagreement I can remember having, you know, because I even bought into the LGBT crap. I bought into the um, the uh, uh, psychiatry stuff. I was convinced as a Scientologist the psychiatrists were a bunch of evil, you know, villains. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, there you go. Oh, geez, of course. X-Science says, I knew a girl on staff that got raped at her home, and Scientology folks told her she must have pulled it in. She had to have her overts done. Is that a form of abuse? Hell yes, that's a form of abuse. That is gaslighting to an, to an extreme level. That is what happened to you didn't happen to you, or if it did happen to you, it was all your fault. Oh, my God, that is incredibly abusive behavior. It's the heart and soul of why this, uh, uh, of what Scientology did to the Masterson's victims. It's what they do to all the victims of Scientology is they gaslight the shit out of them with exactly this crap. You had something, you were victimized by another person who violated your personal boundaries, your bodily autonomy, and your human rights. And they violated the law uh, by assaulting you. And guess what? None of that happened. It was actually all your fault. That is, that is some of the most abusive behavior you can engage in with a human being, uh, short of actually doing the assault, is then covering it all up or lying about it or twisting it to make it look like to that individual victim, they were not a victim, they were the perpetrator. That's the role reversal that, that, that is being attempted with that line, is no, you were not a victim, you were a perpetrator. You pulled it in. You're the one who's responsible. It's all your fault that this happened to you. That's bullshit. It's not all your fault that that happened to you. It never is all your fault that it happened to you. And it's absolutely disgusting uh, blaming the victim approach that will absolutely cave a person in. And, um, yeah, it's awful psychological abuse. Oh, yeah. The worst. All right, let's carry on. Uh, bumped ahead again on me, of course. Okay, here we go. Um, all right, Marcel Feder asks, study tech, applied scholastics, competency nonsense. Can it be stopped, Chris? Yes, it can. Of course it can. This all can be stopped. Will it be stopped is the big question, and it's a tough question to answer because of various aspects of freedom of religion, freedom of belief, freedom of speech. These are things that keep this kind of stuff going. These are good things that we have these rights, but it, these rights can be abused, right? We can be manipulated and we can be abused. And um, Scientology has these groups that exist, and as far as I can tell, the way to stop them is through educating and exposing the masses to the abuses that these groups engage in so that they just won't use them. You know, we can't, it's a lot harder to go in and forcefully dismantle an operation than it is to publicly expose it for what it is and keep everybody away from it through that education and awareness and that's why we do what we do on these YouTube channels is we're trying to do that because we don't have the power or ability to go in and shut them down. They have a right to exist doing what they're doing. 
They don't have a right to abuse people criminally or, or engage in criminal activities. But even getting that much out to the public, look at the chore it is. Look at how hard it is to prosecute these people. And once you are prosecuting them, look at how on pins and needles we all are about whether that prosecution is actually going to go through or not. Is this jury going to see sense? Are they going to see and understand the situation? It's a crapshoot. It's not so much a crapshoot when you educate people, when you make them aware and inform them this group is damaging, harmful, and abusive. You need to stay away from them, and people do. And that's the fight we're mostly fighting in taking on Scientology and taking on other cults, JWs, Mormons, Unitarian or not Unitarians, the Unification Church, the, the Moonies. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, um, so the way that I think that we most effectively fight them and get them to stop is by exposing them and exposing their abuses. All right. Um, <laughs> Bo <laughs> watched John Atak's show with the bad cadet author. Do you plan on interviewing her? Also, thank you for addressing my questions last Monday regarding Tony's involvement. Bo, I'm the first one to who interviewed her. Catherine Spolino was on my podcast before she was on John's. It's right there. It was like a month ago. Check it out. It's I interviewed her. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I'm just like, dude, it's right there on my channel, you know? All right. Anyway, not, uh, you know. Whatever. It's just funny. Um, this is a good question. Raymond, are ambitious Sea Org members who want to rise up the ranks treated differently than regular Sea Org members? If so, how? Productive Sea Org members are treated differently. And if you want to move up the ranks in Scientology, you need to be productive. And by productive, I mean kick-ass. Somebody who is willing to get in people's faces, make them produce, get things done, get those numbers up. It's not necessarily how much of an asshole you are that's going to get you to rise in the ranks. It's, is your assholeness getting the numbers up? Is it bringing in money? Is it bringing in new recruits? Are you bringing in new people? Are you getting whatever it is done that's expected of you to get done? And in the case of ambitious Sea Org members who want to rise up the ranks, they need to be assholes. Uh, that's, that is absolutely a cultural given in the Sea Org. Uh, nice guys do not finish last in the Sea Org. They don't finish first, middle, or last. Nice people go to the back of the line. So the assholes are the cream who rise to the top. And the more asshole you are in the direction of getting people to get shit done and getting that shit done, that's what's going to get you to rise. Now, the kind of products and things they want in the Sea Org are pretty awful, um, especially the money. They want money, and they want it at any cost. And this is where the chase wave and credit card fraud and bank loan fraud and cashing out you know, children's college funds and all of that, are, it, those are all good things to do from a Sea Org point of view. 
right? The more money you can bring in with a high-powered vacuum, the faster you're going to rise up the ranks. The more organization you can provide to bring in lots of money. If you, you know, you producing a lot of money is one thing. You getting 10 people to produce a lot of money is 10 times better. And that's what's going to get you to rise up the ranks, okay? So that's kind of how that's treated. But the, it's a... It's you're always on a knife's edge trying to be an ambitious Sea Org member because there's two things that are working against you. One, you're never going to get all the way to the top. And two, um, any mistake you make, right? Because you have to be an asshole, people aren't going to like you and they're going to want to take you down. And any mistake you make, and that's going to be on you, immediately you are you are more you make yourself more susceptible to being scapegoated by putting yourself in the firing line that way if that makes sense so here you are trying to rise up the ranks you better be right all the time because the second you're wrong you can get busted and you can get busted hard and the more that you produce the more you're expected to produce if you again if you put your head up and you're like, I'm, you know, going to be the gung-ho, ka-con. I'm going to be the guy who's going to make it all, you know. And you start producing, it's going to be like, oh, here's, here's a live one. Well, you got $10 million this week. We want $15 million next week. We want $20 million the week after. Let's go, taka-taka. And if you can bring in those numbers, you will rise up the ranks all the way to the point where, you burn yourself out where you can't do it anymore and then you find yourself down in the galley because it's a cyclic kind of thing because you're going to make it all the way up to the top and then you're going to find out what an asshole David Miscavige really is and you're going to find yourself scapegoated for some bullshit he pulled if you were to get all the way to the top and most people don't get all the way to the top. So that's what I saw over and over and over again and it taught me a lesson as a Sea Org member to not be that guy, right? There's no, there's no good that comes of that. You don't want to be that guy. But I watched a lot of people who thought they did want to be that guy. And they went for it. And they inevitably, invariably, were busted. Every time. So, yeah, there you go with that. I, I, I hope these are decent answers, by the way. I haven't even really been, been checking. I've just been going paka paka through these comments. Um. Oh, Barb asks, in your opinion, is Scientology worse than Mormonism? Yes. Uh, culturally, Mormons have some pretty big issues, including um, some very, very questionable stuff that they do with their kids um, and with uh, the disconnection shunning stuff and with their money. By the way, if you think Scientology has a lot of money put away, oh, I shared a story on Twitter this week. Uh, Scientology has about three, four billion dollars in reserves. The Mormons have a hundred billion in reserves. It's an un unthinkable amount of money. They have so much fucking money, um, and they're not doing anything charitable with it. They're not doing anything good with it. They're just sitting on it, uh, or investing it, or doing other things with it that we don't know about because they're not transparent with that money. But the reason that I say Scientology is worse than Mormonism is because of the psychological damage it does to you, right? At, a, at an individual level, uh, Scientology is more damaging to a person, I would say, than Mormonism. But that's, but that's like, you know, 
do you want to get beat up by Bubba or do you want to get beat up by John? I mean, I, you know, it's like which one, I mean, it's not like either one of them are, are good for you as far as I'm concerned. Now I see it's almost, it's, it's already noon and we have been flying through this thing. So, um, let me see here. Let me do a couple more and then we're going to have to wrap up, I think. Um, yes. It was done as soon as yes, I do. Um, showing similar differences of sleep dreaming, lucid dreaming routines. Oh, that's an interesting question, but not one I'm totally qualified to answer on spectrum similarity and differences sleep dreaming, lucid dreaming between sleep and awake. I'm not really a sleep expert or a memory expert to the point where I feel like I could take on that as a as a thing. But I have, uh, but it's interesting you're asking about that. So if I can find an expert or somebody to interview on my podcast about that, I will definitely do so. Uh, interesting point, XI, and thanks for bringing that one up. Um, Christine Brown, when someone moves up the bridge and figures out how to always get a floating needle, do they realize they're tricking the system? And if so, if they know it is a trick, how can they still believe? Okay, let's remember, and this is a hard one to get our wits around. Okay, I know it, and I'm going to just keep saying it. People can believe anything if you have a good enough reason to. Anything. Any level of hypocrisy is not too much hypocrisy if you have motivated reasoning to believe a thing. Okay, so that being said, you can fool an e-meter, and some Scientologists figure out how to fool an e-meter, and the reason they would do so is more likely they would justify it by thinking the auditor is missing a valid floating needle right now, so I'm going to move my feet so that the needle will float so I can just get on with the auditing session and get to the good stuff because I'm bored with this. I don't want this. What we're doing right now is not what I need, and I know what I need, and therefore I'm going to move this session forward. I watched people do that kind of thing on the RPF where they would fake how to get a floating needle by moving or rubbing their feet or rubbing their hands in particular ways that would imitate that motion on the dial. But they didn't then think to themselves, oh, all of this doesn't work. This is all bullshit. Because you can continue to motivate yourself to believe that the subject is true even if the operator of the e-meter right now is screwing it up. That's one way you could keep the belief and still manifest the floating needle through trickery, right? Uh, there's probably a million variations of that. Or, or admittedly, you could figure out how to fool an e-meter and then realize, oh, this is all bullshit. And, you know, exit stage left very soon after. So results could vary. You know, either scenario was plausible, and I, and I saw both. Uh, I experienced a little bit of both because once I did realize that the e-meter could be fooled and I could fool highly trained auditors who were security checking me by thinking good thoughts or happy thoughts or very intensely thinking about happy moments, that's, how, that's one way I could get a floating needle. I realized 
Hmm. <laughs> Maybe this isn't everything it's cracked up to be. But that didn't connect the dots right away to it's all a con and blah, blah, blah. It's a long road getting yourself out of the Scientology mindset. And that's another reason I'll say that it's more powerful than Mormonism or some of these other groups is the layers of indoctrination and control that exist are intense in Scientology. More so than, than it's, it, it's kind of hard to to get your wits around just how deep the beliefs in Scientology can go. Um, okay, so I think we're going to have to... <coughs> excuse me. Get to wrapping this up here. Um, yeah. Yeah, glad you're out of that Mormonism now. <laughs> okay, here's one last question, then we'll wrap up. Okay, good, Christine. Thank you for uh, good, good on that. If Tom Cruise disowned the Church of Scientology, do you think the Ideal Org program would come to an end? I think if Tom Cruise disowned Scientology, I think the whole thing would come to an end sooner than later. That would be a gigantic, gigantic, devastating blow to Scientology if Tom Cruise exited. Now, the chances of that, I think, I think I have better chances of winning the lottery than Tom Cruise leaving Scientology, just so we're clear. I don't think that guy's ever leaving. It services him so perfectly. It gives him everything he wants and such an ego boost. And that's where Tom Cruise lives. He lives for his ego. He doesn't need money. He doesn't need, you know, influence or power. He has as much as he's ever going to want and more. By leagues and bounds, right? Leaps and bounds. So what does Scientology give him? It gives him godhood. And that's, what, and that's basically what Tom Cruise thinks he is. So, you know, why would he step away from that? But if he did, if somehow, some way, that were to happen, oh, would that be a blow to Scientology? Oh, be a blow to Miscavige be a blow to the group. So many people in Scientology would be like, what? Tom Cruise? I mean, after all these years, it would be like no other celebrity. You know, if John Travolta, if Michael Pena, if Elizabeth Moss, if, if, if any of the other heavy hitters were to leave, it would not be anywhere. It, it, even collectively, if they all left, it would not be the blow that it would be if Tom Cruise left. I mean, he has just been epitomized and idolized, and oh my God, it would be tremendous. But it still wouldn't end it. Let's be clear. It still wouldn't end it. But it would cut it. I, I, think, I think a plausible argument could be made that if Tom Cruise were to leave Scientology tomorrow in a public way, if he said this was all bullshit. I can't believe I fell for it. I could see half the membership walking as a result of that. I know, and I know that's a big like whoa, but I could see that. I could see half of them just going, "Oh shit," you know, and really taking a good hard look. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. But like I said, I don't see any reason at all that that would happen. So there we go. All right, folks, thanks for coming around and watching. We got up to uh, 100 viewers at a go here, which is awesome. Thanks for coming around and watching me blabber on here at a mad rate. 
I need to put in a plug, guys. If you're enjoying my content, if you're enjoying my channel, if you think this is good stuff, do support me, please. It really matters. You know, get me a cup of coffee, whatever. You know, I don't want to <laughs> come off like I'm begging or something, but I do want to say you guys are the ones who keep this operation going. Big Pharma ain't sending me any checks. And... uh Neither is big psychiatry, and, and frankly, neither is YouTube. So anyway, I uh, want to put that out there for you guys. Thank you very much for coming around and watching that. Always appreciate your uh, viewership and your support. And I will see you probably during a live stream this next week. I'm, I'm going to figure that out and uh, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.